Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and each cried out. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. The Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh. Jonah began to go into the city, and the people of Nineveh believed God. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east, till he should see what would become of the city. Jonah, a fishy tale about a faithful God. All right, how we doing? Good, that wasn't too bad. I feel like we need to practice that sometimes. Right? Like when I say, how are we? You say, good. How are we? Good. How are we? Good. Yeah, see, that's pretty good. When I say cross, you say point. No, I'm not going to do that. That's... Anyway, it's good to see you tonight, and uh, we're glad that you are in church, and uh, you, you came to church on a Saturday night. And that's awesome, and uh, it's good to see you here. Uh, we do want to say a big shout-out and hello to everyone at our South Campus. We're glad that you guys are watching. When I say South, you say Campus. No, we're not going to do that anymore. South. See? That's really lovely. Uh, we are halfway through a series uh, that we're in on the book of Jonah. So we've done two weeks, and there's two weeks left. And so today is kind of the midway point, and if you have missed any of it or... You just don't have a great memory. We're going to give you a little brief recap on what's happened so far. Uh, and really, Jonah is a prophet. He's kind of a pastor. God gives him a message, says, go to Nineveh, and I want you to preach to the people there. And Jonah says, no. And he goes to the other side of the planet. He gets on a boat, goes through the Mediterranean, and uh, he's just not thrilled. He doesn't want to go to Nineveh. It's full of his enemies. It's full of people he hates. He doesn't want to go there. Um, and, and so instead of going to Nineveh, which in modern day terms, Nineveh is actually in Iraq. Uh, Nineveh is pretty close to the city of Mosul, if you ever watch the news or hear, but it actually shows up in the news quite a bit. Um, in fact, they, they still have sections of that city that they refer to as Nineveh. They had a temple there a few years ago that was actually dedicated to Jonah, uh, and it was destroyed by ISIS, unfortunately. Um, and then within the last hundred years, they actually rebuilt a bunch of the city gates around that area, and they call them the Nineveh city gates. And actually, just a few months ago, ISIS destroyed one of those. So, bunch of jerks. Um, none of that is relevant to the sermon. It's just learning is fun, and the more you know. Um, and so he, he's called basically to go to this place in Iraq, and he says no, and he goes to Tarshish. Tarshish, in modern kind of equivalent terms, uh, is in the south of Spain. So the complete, utter opposite direction, way better tourism in the south of Spain than Iraq. And so he heads that way, right above the Strait of Gibraltar. If you remember school, when I say Strait of, you say Gibraltar. No, we're not going to do that. Um, and so that's where Jonah goes. He goes to the opposite side of the planet. Uh, but God is not done with Jonah. And so he sends a storm to kind of get his attention. They throw him into the ocean. He gets swallowed by a fish. And it's in the belly of that fish where Jonah does a bit of a 180. And he's like, oh, I guess you can't run from God. I guess you're with me no matter where I am. 
and, and he kind of probably assumes his days are coming to an end, and he says, at least in this moment as my life slips away, I will still choose to sing praises to God. It's kind of a really cool big moment. And, and then he is spat out onto a beach. And that's where we are today. That's how chapter 2, verse 10 kind of says, Then the Lord ordered Jonah to have, or ordered the fish to spit Jonah out onto the beach. Now that phrase, the beach, some people are like, where? What beach? Like, where did the whale spit Jonah out of? Well, his mouth. <laughs> okay. We don't know. The Bible doesn't indicate what beach. Was this a beach near Spain or is this a beach closer to Iraq? It doesn't say what matters is he's come full circle. And he's back pretty much in the exact same place he was when he started, when God said, I want you to go. So, so God brings him completely back around to his beginning spot. And so chapter one is all about how Jonah runs away. Chapter two is all about how Jonah ran back to God. And today we're going to talk about what it looks like when we run with God. What happens when we actually listen to him and we follow through and we obey? What is God capable of doing when his people listen and obey, when we run with God? So this is chapter 3, starting in verse 1. And it says, Then the Lord spoke to Jonah a second time, Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh and deliver the message I have given you. This time Jonah obeyed the Lord's command and went to Nineveh, a city so large that it took three days to see it all. So God pretty much says the exact same thing to him. I want you to go to Nineveh, and I want you to preach the message that I'm going to give to you. And I wish, I wish that you could hear God's tone of voice right now, because I'd love to know how he said this. Right? Like, is he being super sarcastic? Like, how about now we try and go to Nineveh? Right? Why don't we give a shot again? Right? Unless you like doing a barf on your clothes, which I don't think you do. Right? Like, is he being super, like, sassy? Or is he, is he, ang like, is he firm? Is he like, you should go to Nineveh now, right? Give him the eyes, right? I, I don't know what God's tone was in that moment, but, but I'll tell you what I like about this is that he gives Jonah a second chance. He, he just kind of, he doesn't even bring the other stuff up. I mean, Jonah totally botched his first opportunity. He, it wasn't option. This wasn't mission impossible where it was like your mission should you choose to accept it. it none of that. It was you're going to go to Nineveh. And you're going to preach this message. And Jonah completely disobeys this direct command, messes everything up, put, puts people's lives at danger who are on a boat, who are completely innocent. And God's going to bring this fish. And he just, if, if I were Jonah, you know, and he, you just picture him crawling up onto that beach after it, like a three-day ride in the belly of this disgusting fish. If I were God, I would have been like, so probably didn't like that, eh? How about we learn our lesson this time, right? Why don't you just smarten up and get out of here? And, and I'll go find someone else to do what I want. God doesn't do any of that. In fact, what I love about those first two verses isn't just what they say, it's what they don't say. God doesn't bring up any of Jonah's past. He, he doesn't bring up running away, doesn't bring up a boat, doesn't bring up a storm, doesn't bring up a fish. He just says, let's go to Nineveh. Why don't we, why don't we try this again? Why don't you go to Nineveh and preach my message? He, he doesn't rub it in his face he doesn't hold it against him. Isn't that great? We serve a God of second chances. We serve a God who doesn't hold our past against us. We serve a God who doesn't want to remind us of all the terrible things we do. He, we serve a God who doesn't want to pour salt into the wound so that it hurts and we learn our lesson. He doesn't do any of that. 
But he is a God, the Bible says, who is slow to get angry, full of mercy. I mean, that's, that's the greatest news. We serve a God of second chances. In fact, if you're a follower of Christ, we hold on to that promise that says, and now there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I will never hold against you the things you did in your past. I will never bring them up. They don't have any power over you anymore. It's forgiven, and so it's completely forgotten. In fact, God says in Isaiah 43, I will blot out your sins, and then I will never think of them again. Isn't that a great line? I will forgive you and then never think of it again. Forgetful God is my favorite. I love that we have a forgetful God. He doesn't hold it against us. He doesn't rub it in our face. He he forgives and he forgets, which means, just as kind of a side tangent here, is that anytime you feel condemned by a sin that's already been forgiven, it's not him. But it's the enemy whispering that into your ear, trying to bring that back, trying to remind you of that, trying to dig the sword in a little bit and twist it around. It's, it's never God. He does not use your past against you. It is forgiven and forgotten, never thinking of it again. And verse 3 goes on to say, it starts with these two words, this time, Jonah obeyed, this time. And those two words right there are so full of grace, aren't they? Those are two great words this time. It means that there was another time that it didn't go so well. It means there was another time that you botched it, but this time, it automatically denotes that you're given another shot. This time is the motto of the second chance. This time. Aren't you grateful for all the times in your life when when you've had the opportunity to say this time? How many of you have messed up somewhere along the way? And you you can like... Dear, I know I forgot our anniversary last year, but, but this time, this time. I know I said I would never forget to pick the kids up at daycare, but this time, this week, we'll, we'll be all right. And it's, sometimes it's little like that. Sometimes it's huge. Sometimes you're wrestling with huge things. I know I said I would never touch a drink again, but this time. I know I said that I didn't want to hurt you. I know I said I wouldn't do that again. I wouldn't go there again. I wouldn't say that again. But this time, I promise, this time I'll I'll change. This time, I'll mean it. Anyone who gives you a this time has given you grace and mercy and a second chance. And God is a God who gives us this times. I mean, how many people in the Bible were given a this time? I mean, you just walk through scripture and you see it there. He comes to Abraham and he says, I'm going to give you a son and and you're going to be the father of a great nation. And Abraham's like, this is taking way too long. Sleeps with his maid and ends up having a child and God comes to him and he doesn't say, he goes, no, I'm going to give you a son and this time you'll be the father of many nations. Right? And he does the same thing with Moses. Moses' story starts with murder. He kills a guy because he's angry about slavery, and then he runs to the backwoods of nowhere land, and God eventually shows up and he says, listen, I know that you wanted to solve slavery your own way. didn't work. This time, you'll be my guy to lead my people out of slavery. He does the same thing with David. He calls David to be a king when, when David is just a kid. He says, you're going to be a king. It's going to be great. And David goes and sleeps with a woman who's not his wife and kills her husband to try and cover it all up. And God comes before him and says, okay, you're still going to be a king. But this time, this time we're going to get it right. And you'll be known as a man who is after my own heart. This time. We serve a God who doesn't give up when we mess up. 
We serve a God who doesn't walk away when we're the ones that have failed, no matter how big or ugly or nasty or messy it got. God comes to us and he says, this time, but this time come with me. You tried to do it your own way all those other times. Abraham, you tried to get a son on your own time. It didn't work. This time come with me. David, I knew you wanted to be a king. You tried to get power and and, and entertainment in your own way. It's not how it's going to work. This time, come with me and let's see what we can do together. And it does the exact same thing with Jonah. This time, Jonah went to Nineveh. And verse 4 says, On the day Jonah entered the city, he shouted to the crowds, 40 days from now, Nineveh will be destroyed. That's, That's it. That's his whole sermon. Eight words. Right, the first time I read that, I was like, you could probably use a couple years at seminary, right? Like, let's just learn you some things, right? Let's, let's teach you some things somewhere along the way. Throw in a funny illustration about a fish. Do, do something weird like that. He doesn't do it. It's a simple message. But remember, he's only saying what God told him to say. So it's not like he goes to Nineveh and, and has to, like, start researching a huge sermon and, and, and lay all this stuff out. No, he just, he's got eight words. And then think about how many times he has to say that same sermon. He's got to walk all over this town three days just to see this thing. And and he's walking. It's just him. He's not like going to the Coliseum and selling tickets and saying, everyone come to me. He's got to go to all of them. So every time he turns a corner and sees a marketplace, he's like, all right, this is it. And he's got to say those same eight words over and over and over again to one of the biggest, darkest, most evil cities that were on the planet. Can you imagine how underprepared you would have felt? Right, like how terrifying that would have been, especially as someone who like does public speaking. That's it? That's all you're giving me? You remember doing speeches in school? Maybe some of you are still there, middle school, high school. I remember the first time we had to do it, it was three minutes, and we were shocked. How can I talk about the same thing for three minutes? This is so unfair. I'm not doing this. Right, and we were terrified to get up in front of our class. These are the people that we were just running outside with, playing, laughing with. These are our best friends. But there's something about standing in front of them that was terrifying. They're all looking at me. Right, how can I say something for three minutes? And, and I still know people who are just utterly mortified of public speaking. And, and one of the biggest fears is that you would get up there and have nothing to say. That you'd get up there and forget everything. You would get up in front of a crowd and just be like, oh, what do you do when that happens? This is how I picture Jonah's sermon. Eight words, that's all he's got to change these people's minds, to convince them about God. Dude, this is a life or death, death message. These eight words. And I picture him like walking down like a, a, a road and he sees a marketplace and he's like, all right, here we go. Gets out his microphone. Excuse, excuse me, everyone. And then everyone kind of turns around. He's like, I've got something to say. First, first of all, welcome. Thanks for being here today. No, no, that doesn't work. That doesn't work. And he just kind of says, uh, and he's trying to think of a good opener. He's trying to think of something witty. He's trying to think of something great. And God whispers in his ears, just eight words, man. Just eight words. So all, they're all looking at him. It's a preacher's dream. Everyone's paying attention. And all he can say is, 40 days from now, Nineveh will be destroyed. And I I can just picture people looking at him like, hey, is that it? I think so. Are you going to elaborate on any of this? Not today. 
Are you, are you going to do an altar call or anything? Because I wasn't really planning on it. Do you have anyone that can play the keyboard and make it super spiritual at the end? Yeah. 40 days from now, Nineveh will be destroyed. That's good. That's good. And then it's the end. Keyboard goes out and everyone's looking at him again like, really? Same thing? That's it? Did the keyboard help? No. Right? Like, what, what do you expect is going to happen? Wouldn't you feel like that's not enough? Wouldn't you feel ill-prepared? Wouldn't you feel like these people are too evil? This is too weird. I'm one guy. This city is too big. This is never going to work. This is just a complete and utter waste of my time. But the only thing is that Jonah has already tried to do it once his own way. He's already tried to do what he thought made sense the first time. So this time he's like, fine, I'll go do it. This time, God, I'll, I'll come with you. And we'll try it your way. And he walks around and says this sermon. And here's what happens. Verse 5. The people of Nineveh believed God's message. And from the greatest to the least, they declared a fast and put on burlap to show their sorrow. When the king of Nineveh heard what Jonah was saying, he stepped down from his throne and took off his royal robes. He dressed himself in burlap and sat on a heap of ashes. And then the king and his nobles sent this decree throughout the city. No one, not even the animals from your herds and flocks, may eat or drink anything at all. People and animals alike must wear garments of mourning, and everyone must pray earnestly to God. They must turn from their evil ways and stop all of their violence. Who can tell? Perhaps even yet, God will change his mind and hold back his fierce anger from destroying us. And when God saw what they had done, and how they had put a stop to their evil ways, he changed his mind and did not carry out the destruction he had threatened. Okay, hold on. What? That eight words. One guy saying eight words and 100,000, 200,000 people come to God. It doesn't make sense. I mean, he does this, Jonah wanders around the entire city for, from corner to corner, from New Maryland to Main Street and Pennyac to Prospect or whatever. He just, he covers the whole place on foot every time he takes a turn. He says those eight words, bumps into the, the farmer's market and says those eight words and hits up a school and he says those eight words and he's just thinking, is this any gonna, and they all repent. They all turn from their ways. That they all come to this point of like, yo, he's right. Even the king, the king of Nineveh, right? Like the most corrupt guy there. Corruption is flowing from the king down. This guy is the worst. This guy is like Emperor Palpatine. This is King Joffrey. This is Bowser or whoever. I don't know who it is. I feel like Bowser's probably not fitting in that one, but that guy just has unrequited love. He just needs, he just needs a princess. Even that guy gets saved. And he sends a decree all through the city that says, everyone stop doing evil, everyone start to pray, everyone get on your knees, and maybe God will save us. Maybe God will give us a second chance. In fact, in verse 8, he, even, he talks about how animals have to do this. Even the animals are fasting, right? which seems like maybe a little bit overkill. Like he's got confused cows in Nineveh that just want to have lunch, and he's like, nah, you're going to church first. Right? Like that, all of Nineveh is going to church and they have a massive citywide revival because one guy 
said eight words, but he did it with God. See, that's what can happen when you do things with God. That's when, when you just simply obey him. When God says, go here and say this, and you go there and you say that, God can do unbelievable things. That's what happens. See, they all believed God's message, it said, from the greatest to the least. I think this is the greatest miracle in the book of Jonah. I think that a city that big and that evil, completely going through a revival from one guy saying eight words, I think that is far more unbelievable and exceptional than a fish that can eat a guy. I think this is the big miracle in the story of Jonah. And I love this for a few reasons. One is that this is what it looks like when you go with God. This is what can happen when God's people, who aren't perfect but they are obedient, just simply do what God wants them to do. They say what God wants them to say. They'll go wherever it is he asks them to go. This is what can happen when you live and preach the simple gospel truth. God can do unbelievable things. Eight words and revival breaks out. Eight words and the king is transformed and a city is completely upended. And I want us to understand today, church, that he can still do that. God could still do that. Mm -hmm. God still works that way. He is the same God. The same God who transformed Nineveh could do the exact same thing. Don't doubt the simplicity and the power of the gospel message being preached and lived out by his people. Don't ever doubt what can happen. It's not complicated. You don't need to go to seminary. You don't need to preach crazy long sermons. Though They're not bad all the time. You don't need to be a professional. You don't need to have a good track record. Jonah was none of these things. He just obeyed what God told him to do. And God did unbelievable work. And you know what that tells me, which is encouraging and a little bit offensive at the same time, is that God doesn't need me. He doesn't. He doesn't need me to be fancy. He doesn't need me to be eloquent. He, he doesn't need me to be super talented or to try and preach a certain way or to mimic a certain kind of preacher. He just says, I just go up there and say what I tell you to say. Why don't you just get up there and, and preach the gospel and see what I can do? See, the power of anything good that happens in this church on any given week is all in him. It's all in what he wants to do and how he wants to move and also how, he res how we respond to what he's doing. Revival happens because of repentance and obedience. That's it. Nothing flashy. Not, it doesn't have to be over the top. It doesn't need to be wildly creative. It is a simple message preached in obedience, and God can overturn a city. That's only God. All God. Always God. I believe he could do it in Fredericton. Couldn't he? Isn't, isn't he the same God? Right? Because sometimes I think, and maybe you think, oh, this mission seems a little bit too hard, doesn't it? Right? Like it's a city of 55,000 people. Hardly anyone goes to church anymore. No one really cares about God anymore. This is irrelevant. It's outdated. It's out of touch. The churches are shrinking like crazy. No one, people have their minds made up about church. They've got their mind made up about Crosspoint or maybe about me. I just, it's, it's too many people. We're one church. Our parking lot can fit 13 cars. What do you, you can't do this. What do you guys think you're doing trying to reach the whole city of Fredericton? And I just think, man, this is crazy. And then God whispers, remember that time I had one guy in eight words? 
don't you think I can still do this? Don't you think the same thing can happen if people would just keep doing what I want them to do? If they would just go where I asked and they would say what I want them to say? Don't you think if I can do that with one guy in a big city, what could 500 people do who go out into their city and live the simple, obedient truth of the gospel? Couldn't it transform everything? And sometimes we're the ones that convince ourselves that our challenges are too big. This is a Nineveh-sized challenge. It's never going to happen. It's not going to do it. But see, when you go with God, is anything too hard for the Lord? When you go with God, isn't he a God who can do impossible things? So we know what happens when we try and do it our way. Jonah was a pretty good example of that. So are all the other guys we already talked about tonight. There's something about when you align yourself with the direction that God's going in and you speak the word that God says to speak and you live the way he says to live, you will see God move. And see, there's so many of us that, well, I want God to do something great in my life. And, and I want to I wanna go somewhere crazy for God and do something crazy for God. The problem is we're already not doing the simple little things he's already asked us to do. He's already said, go love your neighbor. Go to the ends of the earth and tell people about me. I want you to turn the other cheek. I want you to, to love. I, love is patient. Love is kind. Have you been talking like that? Have you been living like that? Love isn't rude. Love, and, love isn't boasting. Love isn't self-serving. Do you, do you love like that? But no, I want to do something big for you, God. He's like, do you see what I can do when you do the small thing? I want you to do something small for me and then watch me do something big with it. That's what happens when you go with God. That could be the story of Fredericton. That could be even just going, couldn't that happen at your workplace? Could, couldn't one person just go into your job and overturn the whole place if you just spoke the way God wanted you to speak? Couldn't that happen at your school? Couldn't that happen at UNB or Stu? Just one person just obediently walk into class and just, all right, live like this, speak like this, love like this. Doesn't he have the capability to, to do a miracle? Mark, I know, but do you know where I work? Do you know who's in my class? Do you know the background of that place? Yeah, do you know what the Bible said about Nineveh? People tripped over the dead bodies. It was called Murder City. Do you remember that part of the story? One guy with eight words and God. And he turned the whole thing around. See, the question today is are you running with God? Are you going with God? Is your life going in the same direction? Are you, are you living in obedience? Are you, are you going where he calls? Because see, I bet the, the problem is that we think we're the problem a lot of the times. And I bet that's how Jonah felt. See, I, I don't think he walked around Nineveh thinking this is never going to work because he didn't trust God and his capability. He knew quite well what God was capable of. That guy made a storm happen. That guy brought a fish to swallow me, right? Like, I don't think he doubted God's capability once. I think he doubted his own. I don't, I, I, if I'm Jonah, I'm walking around thinking I am the worst prophet in the world. I am a failure of a prophet. Uh, God had to reprimand me and scold me. I'm not good at this. I don't have a great, like this was three days ago. I messed up three days ago and he's got me in the city preaching. Say, so we, we like big, crazy, sinful testimony stories. We're like, years ago, I was a murderer. And we're like, oh man, God's so good. If that was like yesterday, I killed a man. And today I'm praying that God is good. We'd be like, all right, no, that's okay. All right, this is days later. This is just days later where Jonah's preaching repentance and he needed repentance. 
We doubt our own capability. That that's what makes it so perfect. Because we're not capable. Who better to preach repentance than someone who needed it? See, God uses sinners to reach sinners. God uses people who need grace to preach grace. Because we're the most qualified people to talk about it. Because we've been there. We've lived it. See, none of us are qualified for this job. To, to go out into the world and tell people about Jesus. Well, well, I'm not perfect. I haven't done a great job. And he's like, no, exactly. Tell them how great I have been in your life. Tell me how good uh, my mercy and my grace and my forgiveness. Tell them about how I forget things. Tell them that. That's a great part about me. See, he needs to use people like us to reach people that were just like us. And, and it's funny because ironically, that's the world's favorite criticism of the church. Oh, you're a bunch of hypocrites. I'm like, yeah, we totally are. We have totally messed up all along the way, and that's what makes our Savior so good. That's right. That's good. Because none of us were perfect. None of us were pulling it off. None of us are perfect, and none of us are claiming to be. And yet, time and time again, God says, give it another shot. Go do it again. I forgot what you did because I'm a God of grace and forgiveness. Mm. It makes us the perfect people to preach the message. Sinners who needed Jesus walking around telling sinners they need Jesus. Right? Because the first time you read Jonah, you're like, man, why did he pick him? What a loser. Right? Like, why would you pick someone so rebellious and disobedient to pick people, who, to preach to people who are rebellious and disobedient? Why wouldn't you pick, like, the, the young superstar coming up through the, the prophecy school? Or why wouldn't you pick the guy that's wise and experienced with a great track record? Why in the world would you pick this sinner like Jonah? And God's like, yeah. That's why. And every time I think that, God's like, also, that's your story. Isn't it? Isn't it all of our story? Why would God pick me to go preach? Why would God pick me to go tell people about Jesus? Well, because I'm a sinner preaching about sin. I'm up here talking about repentance, and man, have I ever needed repentance many times in my life. That's why we don't preach in my name. My name can't do anything. I don't have any power. We preach in the name of Jesus Christ because there's power in the name of Jesus. See, he can take the worst person that has done the worst things. And in fact, it's in our weakness that his power is made perfect. It's in our weakness that people will see him, not us. If we were perfect and had it all together and walked around, you all need Jesus. You're looking at him like, no, nah, you just need yourself, bud. But it's when weak people who know they have failed and, and they're strong in Christ walk around saying, you guys need Jesus, and I can tell you because I've lived it, I've been there, I've done that. There's no greater testimony than that, than when we go with God. Our job is to obey, to go where he says, to say what he says, and to let him do the work, to let him do the heavy lifting, to let him do the miracles, to let him do the convicting. You don't have to convict anyone. That's the Holy Spirit's job. You don't have to convince anyone of God. That's the Holy Spirit's job. We just go where he says go and we say what he says and then we let God do the incredible work. We are messed up people who found Jesus on a mission to tell messed up people that they need Jesus. We're all Jonah. We are. We're Jonah. Remember, remember in the movie Spartacus where everyone at the end is like, no, I'm Spartacus. No, I'm Spartacus. And there are like 50 guys that keep standing up saying, no, I'm Spartacus. We're Jonah. I'm Jonah. 
Like you're, you're Jonah. We're all Jonah. And, and it's through our weakness and our sin that, that Christ's power is put on display and people can see him in us. He wants to use, he doesn't need to use any of us. He could have overtaken Nineveh like that. He wants to use Jonah. He decides to use us and he just says, I want you to be obedient. Look what happens when my church is obedient. In fact, the, the most holy Jewish holiday on the calendar, it's the Day of Atonement. Um, Yom Kippur, or Yom Kippur, if you're a Maritimer. Every day on Yom Kippur, if you were to go to a synagogue and participate in one of those services, do you know what will happen at the most traditional ones anyway? They read the entire story of Jonah. And it's a congregational response. And at the very end, they all say, we are Jonah. They all acknowledge the fact of who in, who in the world would run from God and be disobedient. And they all say, we're Jonah. Who in the world, well, like, why, who in the world does God want to use to send his message to a lost and hurting world? And you're like, that's also us. See, the book of Jonah is, is a mirror where we look at it and we're supposed to see ourselves in him. People who have run away, people who have messed up, people who have made mistakes, and yet God gives us a second chance. He gives us a this time, and he gives us the opportunity to go with him this time. And he says, watch what I can do through, watch what I can do with you and through you. Watch what I can do when I give you the words and you go where I say and you do what I want, and, and I can transform cities and communities and families. We are... Jonah. And we read our eyes, we read the book and we roll our eyes at Jonah. We're like, man, who is this guy? That's <laughs> me. That's all of us. We serve a God who says, no, this time, this time you can get it right. This time I'll give you another shot. This time there's grace and there's mercy. I've forgiven you and I've forgotten. So the question really for us today is, are you running with God? Are you going his direction? Are you doing the things he's already asked you to do? So I don't know what God's asking me to do. Yes, you do. Read the Gospels. You know exactly what God wants you to do. Are we doing it? Are we living it out? And do you believe that God can use you? Do you believe that revival can be sparked when a simple person with a simple message obeys God? So let's go. Let's go preach the Gospel. Let's go love our neighbors. Let's, let's walk humbly. Speak the name of Jesus. Let's go into the darkest corners of the darkest places and declare the truth and then watch God work. Because he can still do this. I want to see our city overturned with the gospel. And I believe that it can happen. If one guy with eight words can go to a place like Nineveh and have massive revival, then can't the same thing happen here? 500 people living it out, speaking the truth, declaring the name of Jesus with humility, with weakness, acknowledging that, yeah, I was a sinner who needed grace, and it's been the greatest moment of my life, and let me tell you about him. So let's do that. Let's be Jonah and declare with a second chance that God is good and slow to anger and full of grace and given us another shot to live this out. Amen?